0: I appreciate those songs, Dan, and I was, I think I saw some hint of John Owen, the death of death and the cross of Christ, amen, so awesome, my brother, awesome, thank you, brother. This book of Daniel, it bleeds from it the truth of God's providential activity in the world of men. Therefore, we will not be afraid, we will not fear, we know that God is at work. In the book of Daniel, his purpose was to preserve a people, to preserve them so that they could be a vessel through which the word of God would come, as well as to present to the world the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. He had promised to Abraham, and he was going to see his promise through. In doing so, in fulfilling his promise, he shows us his control of the rulers of the world. Things do not happen in the world and then God responds. That's not how it works. God does exactly according to the purpose of his will. The hearts of the world rulers are in his hands. He can turn them however he pleases. He shows us in this book his great love for his people. More than once he says to Daniel, you are greatly loved. He shows also his omniscience, knowing all things. And by it is omnipotence, the ability to fulfill and complete all those things that he knows. He brings them to pass because he knows them. This is the final chapter of the book of Daniel. I ask a question, a little devotional I wrote years ago on the book of the Revelation. I, one of the pages I had this question. If this was the last sermon that you ever heard, how would you respond? Or maybe this question. If you could only hear one more sermon, what passage of scripture would you want it to be? How would you respond to it if you heard it? And then the question comes this way. Why not respond to every sermon you ever hear as if it will be the last because it very well could be? this book of Daniel we come to this twelfth chapter it's the end of his preaching it's he's he's probably I suppose after he writes this he probably doesn't live very much longer he doesn't make it back to Israel he dies in in Babylon he closes this section of his book with some frightening words these are words that God has given to him and shown him it's about the end of this Christlike. Christless epoch in which we now live, the end of all of that. So there's some there are some frightening words here, some confusing words, but also frightening words. But also there are some words of indescribable joy about the fate of those who are followers of Jesus. I just wanted to take this last section of the Bible and just call it a time for truth, or last section of this part of the Bible, a time for truth. And um, I I have organized it according to um, what, in my mind, I called it three shut-up moments for Daniel. There are three times here the angel says, but you, Daniel, shut up the words of this book. And so verse 3 is the end of one of those sections. But it's like the angel says to him, but wait a minute, I'm going to tell you one more thing. And then he goes on down and says, but now shut up. And so you shut up the words of this book, and and he says that in verse 9. And so there's another section that comes to an end. But then in verse 10, he says, now let me tell you one other thing. So that's kind of how this book uh, at the end, it goes. The train of thought here is not clean and clear. It's just like, okay, let me tell you these things. Okay, that's all I'm going to say to you, Daniel. Well, let me tell you one more thing. And so he tells him that. He says, okay, Daniel, I'm tired of talking about this with you. But now let me tell you one more thing. And so he does that. And so that's how I divided the book. According to three times the angel says to Daniel, shut up. You know, so that's it. I, it doesn't sound very polite. Uh, in our house, uh, the, the queen of our house wouldn't let us tell each other to shut up. It was a bad word. And so we're not allowed to do say that. Um, we say things at our house like this. I'm putting you on pause. So... The angel says to Daniel, I'm putting you on pause. And so then um, hopefully I can get away with saying it that way. Well, let's look at this in verses 1 through 4. The truth. It's a time for truth. And so the angel says to Daniel, and, and we think not just the angel, but we think he has here a vision of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the one who is evidently hovering over the water. And there's an angel on one bank of the Tigris River and an angel on the other bank. And here's the Lord Jesus in the middle. And sometimes it gets confusing, like, actually, who's talking here? But Daniel is getting this uh, divine revelation from heaven. And so he's given the truth about resurrection. And look at verses 1 through 4 of this 12th chapter. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as... As never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some to everlasting life. And some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel... Shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. The truth about the resurrection. Now, what's spoken of, spoken of here as, the, uh, as, as Daniel's being told these things by the Lord is he talks about the error. What, what time are we talking about? He says, at this time. And you'll notice in that first verse that something similar to at that time or during that time, it's repeated twice more. So just in this one verse, there's, there's this idea of there's an important time, there's an important era of history that we're going to discuss. And this is eschatological. He's talking about the end times, of course. And we see that in other sections of the Bible. And also mentioned here is Michael, the greatest of all archangels. And to whom is he assigned? Well, the Bible says, the great prince who has charge of your people. Now, who would be Daniel's people? Your first comment or your first thought would be Israel. But that's not who it is. If you look at the end of this verse, he says who Daniel's people are. Your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. Just because you have a birth certificate from Israel does not mean your name is written in the book. Just as in Abraham's day, not all who claimed to be Jews were true Jews. That is, not truly believing in the Messiah according to the scriptures. Many of them had a Messiah of their own imagination, but it wasn't the Messiah promised in the scripture. The promised Messiah from the scripture is going to crush Satan's head. That's the problem in the world. And the Messiah in the scripture is going to take care of the sins of sinners. That's the Messiah that's needed. Not someone who can just simply stop war in the world. And so Daniel is told here, there's an angel that watches over your people. The greatest of the princes. Ladies and gentlemen, do you realize there's an archangel assigned to the people of God? Someone who works for Jesus your behalf and so we have this era that's being talked about it's a horrible time we know this that according to the book of the revelation that at the end of all things once the church has been raptured that there are going to be many jews that suddenly awaken and realize by the power of the holy spirit that this one called jesus truly was the christ of god the son of god the savior of the world and many of them will turn to jesus in those days that's the era or time that's going to be talked about here by to Daniel by the Lord. Now, what's the extent of the resurrection? Well, the Bible says <clears throat> that in verse 2, Many, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Now, by many, it doesn't mean some. The, the word there doesn't mean some. Some of the people in the dust shall rise. It doesn't mean that. The word many there is just referring to a multitude so it's talking about <clears throat> this massive number of people that will be resurrected. So it would be a massive resurrection. But the effect of the resurrection is also seen here in verse 2. And at the end of verse 2, it says that some will be resurrected to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And then he goes on to talk about those who are wise and so on and so forth. So. The effect is that there is a division here of the resurrection. Who who are the ones who will be raised to everlasting life? Who are those? See, there are two categories of people here. Some to everlasting life. And some to shame and everlasting contempt. Now, perhaps you're a person here today and you don't believe in a resurrection. Okay? Let me just ask you this. Do you believe in death? We have no atheist as far as death is concerned. Everyone believes in it. We believe in that. If there is a death, and if Christ is real, then there is a resurrection. If Christ is not real, then there's no resurrection. And if, if Christ did not rise from the dead, then nobody can rise from the dead. If Christ, who lived a sinless life, did not rise from the dead, there, there is no resurrection. If there's no resurrection, all of this exercise here is just pointless. There's no point in being here. Because what are we pushing for? What are we looking forward to? We're looking forward to the resurrection. That's, that's where we're looking. So if sometimes people say, well, resurrection's not talked about in the Old Testament. Well, yeah, yes it is. I mean, we're looking at one of them right now. And not only that, in the book of Daniel, even everlasting life is mentioned here. This is not a new concept that Jesus comes up with in the New Testament. Remember, all the preaching of the New Testament comes from the Old Testament. All of it. And so here we have Daniel speaking of these two categories of people. We find out later in the book of the Revelation, we connect Daniel to the book of the Revelation because, you know, lots of overlap here. But we find out later in the book of the Revelation that there are actually two resurrections. Revelation chapter 20 talks about the first resurrection. And that would be those who are resurrected to everlasting life. The first resurrection. Blessed is he who takes part in the first resurrection. Over him the second death has no power. The Bible says. Well who who are the ones then in that first resurrection or in phase one of the resurrection? Who would that be? Well that would be the same ones talked about. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. In what book? In those days, citizenship. If you became a citizen of a city, your name was written in the citizenship book. Now, they do it through taxes, right? Yeah, the IRS has your name. So, but there was a such thing as a citizen. You're either a citizen or you're not a citizen. Something something that appears that perhaps leaders in our nation have forgotten that there's a difference. There is a difference you're a citizen or you're not a citizen so if you're a citizen your name's written there if you're not a citizen you have no rights or privileges you don't belong you're a foreigner you're an outcast you don't have the privileges of citizenship you don't belong here it's the same thing with the people of god either your name is written in the lamb's book of life or it's not you're either a citizen of the kingdom of god or you're not And only those who are citizens of the kingdom through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Only those people have their names written in the Lamb's book of life. And only those are the ones that will be involved in the first resurrection. Who will be blessed over whom the second death has no power. Then a thousand years. Then the second resurrection. And you see in the book of the Revelation. Behold I saw a great white throne. And the small and great stood before him, and the books were opened, and the other books were opened. And anyone whose name was not found written in the Lamb's book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's what Daniel's speaking of here. The question for every individual is just, just this. Which resurrection are you going to be in, dude? You've you got to figure this out. This is not play. This is not pretend. And I want to let you know, there's not this third option for people who want to consider at that point. The time for consideration is now. It's not then. You don't get to wait till then and go, okay, well, you know, God, I didn't really understand about these two resurrection things. And, you know, I really get it now. And so now that I get it, I think I want resurrection number one. Too late, Bubba. That resurrection's already passed. The time to consider that is now. So he speaks of these two resurrections. One, those who will be resurrected to everlasting life. And then others, to everlasting shame and contempt. That's the truth about the resurrection. Secondly, the truth about the tribulation. Verse 1, he talks about, again, if you'll notice there in verse 1, if we can jump back to it for just a moment. There shall be a time of trouble. Such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. A time of trouble. An unprecedented difficulty of the time. This is called the great tribulation. In Matthew 24, Jesus spoke of this. His disciples said to him, tell us, when will all these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Here's what Jesus said. So when you see the abomination of desolation. Spoken of by. Daniel the prophet. Then let those who are in Judea flee. For then there will be great tribulation. Such as has not been. From the beginning of the world until now. That's what's spoken of here. Unprecedented difficulty. Of that time. Now. What's the cause of it? Well, we could jump to the book of Revelation, speak more of that. But for our purposes here, the book of Daniel has already spoken of it. If you remember the 70th week, and that is every week stands for, you know, what, seven years. And in the middle of that seven-year period of time, what's going to happen is is this. It, It appears to me this is what's going on here the antichrist will rise to the scene political leader world power he's going to bring peace and he's going to rally the western world probably including the united states to enter into a treaty with him to defend israel from russia and from iran sound familiar and so he's going to, everybody's going to be in turmoil about all of the war that's going on. And this man's going to rise and say, look, I'm going to consolidate us together. We need a unifying factor. And so I'm going to unite all of us together. And so make an agreement with me that I'll be the leader. And I will stop those people for you. And so everybody will be on board, especially from the Western Hemisphere. Everybody's going to be on board. And he's going to do it. He's going to stop. He's going to bring about the destruction of Russia. Who's going to be the world power that's fueling all of this. And Israel will be saved. Oh, happy day. In the middle of that though, at the three and a half year period, at three and a half year point of this covenant that he's made with the world, he will attack Israel. And he will have all of of the world behind him when he does this. In some way, he's going to convince the world that Israel is the scourge of the world. They're the ones who are trying to stop because what's going to happen is he's going to see Israel as the one nation that's stopping this world religion in which everybody believes the same. And so he has to unite the world, and he sees Israel as a problem there. And so at the middle of this point, it is, you know the Great tribulation but, but in the seven years, but a lot of times we look at it as like it doesn't really get amped up, uh, ramped up until like the middle part of this thing. What happens in the first part of the Great Tribulation is you have two prophets that are preaching for three and a half years. And nobody can touch them. And they're preaching to Israel mostly and telling them to repent and believe the Messiah. And Israel, the the Jews are going to try to kill these two prophets because they're tired of hearing them. And the Bible says of these two prophets that if anyone tries to lay a hand on them, that fire will come down and disintegrate that person on the spot. I want that. can't have it though and then at the end of three and a half years these god is going to allow us two prophets to be killed and they're going to drag them through the streets and it's going to be on the internet it's going to be on youtube it's going to be on television it's going to be on fox news and cnn and a worldwide and people are going to applaud they're going to make a holiday out of the death of these two prophets that preach mean you know these two prophets that have anger management problems these two prophets that just don't believe in, in your little snowflake theology. about We're all the same. just doesn't believe. And so they continue to preach. This is what God said. Thus saith the Lord. And so then they'll be killed. And at that point, there are no voices now. The last sermon will be preached. No voice calling for repentance. No voice. See, people hate preaching. They hate preaching. They hate it. They consider it a waste of time, an irritation, or whatever. So it's, it's a bad thing. We even use it in a derogatory way. Don't preach at me. And so it's a bad, it's a bad. Here's what, when I was a kid, here, here was the hallelujah day. When the pastor would say, now, Sunday night, we're, we're not going to have any preaching. All of us kids were like, yes! We're just going to sing the whole time. We didn't want to sing either, but at least we didn't have to hear him, Right? And so the world's going to be that way. And finally, these guys, these polarizing figures, they'll be, they'll be done. They'll be gone. And it'll be like Christmas time. Everybody, it would be a great. We'll put another holiday on the American calendar that the staff can be off on that day. They didn't get that. They're like, wait a minute, what's it mean? So this is the great tribulation that he's speaking of here. Now, during this period of time also, though, We see the undeniable sovereignty of the Lord. And look in verses 5 through 9. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood. One on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven. And swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. That is three and a half years. One, two, and a half. Three and a half years. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. Thank you, Daniel. We don't either. Then I said, oh, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, go your way, Daniel. Daniel. For the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. The undeniable sovereignty of God is what I want us to see here. In which he raises his hands toward heaven. This is the Lord Jesus. And swears by the Father that this will only last for three and a half years. Now this, this, these events that are being spoken of here. They are 2,000 plus years in the future. We don't know how far in the future now. But 2,000 plus years in the future. And the Lord Jesus is saying, and at this time, it will only last three and a half years. That's it. So the reign of the Antichrist will be seven years, but he'll break that covenant in the middle of the seven years. So for three and a half years, it will be pure hell on earth. No one has ever seen a ruler like this. No one has ever seen anyone as ruthless as this. And he'll have all the resources of the Western Hemisphere at his disposal. All of it. Revelation chapter 11 and... Verse 3 and following speaks of this period of time. The middle of the 70th week of the book of Daniel, chapter 9, verse 27, speaks of this time. But what we see here is is just this, that the Lord is in control. Let me show you how in control of this God is. If you'll skip down to verse 11, he says this. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that, takes, that makes desolate is set up, there should be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335th days. Okay, so this is odd. Three and a half years is not 1,290 days. I think it's 1,260 if we're just talking about a month being 30 days. So, 30 more days. What's the reason for the addition of the 30 days? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us. We might could guess. It'll take 30 days to clean up the mess of Armageddon. How are we going to clean it up? It's easy. Vultures. Animals are going to devour this massive number of human bodies. They're going to be some fat lions wandering around. Okay, so the, the carnage is going to be just unbelievable. And so that's part of it, I guess. But then he goes on and he adds another, what is that? Is that 45 more days? And so he adds more to it. So the, the great tribulation is, is over, but there's a 30 and then there's a 45. And so what is this all about? Well, it's the initiation or setting up of the coronation of Jesus for the millennial reign. Here's what I'm trying to say to you. God has got this down by the day. He, he is telling us by the day. Now, one of the things that God says to Daniel in verse number 4, many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. And then he says, uh, verse 10, those who are wise shall understand and so on. And and so what what is he saying? Daniel is saying to to the Lord, I don't really understand all of this. And here's what God is saying. You understand all you need to know. When the time comes for my people to understand this more, as this gets closer, they will understand more. God is not into satisfying all of our curiosity about these things. He's about settling the hearts of his people and giving us confidence and faith in times of chaos and turmoil and uncertainty. And so that's what he's doing here as well. Well, the truth about tribulation. Now then, something else from this chapter that is of, of supreme significance is there's a truth here again about separation. Look in verses ten, 13. Let's finish this chapter. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at, at 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. So, there's a difference in people. There are the wise and the unwise. There are the wise and the wicked. And look what he says, the wise shall turn to Christ. In verse 10, many, many, he says, in verse 10, shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined. What does he mean by that? during the time of the great tribulation there are going to be a large number mostly of jewish people that are going to realize oh boy this is not what we thought we've been in error all these generations jesus really is the christ he really is the son of god we must trust upon him no matter what happens to our bodies no matter what happens to our little nation called israel it's beside the point what matters now is our souls our souls are on the line and so they will turn to christ many and be saved but also this the wicked shall turn to the antichrist in verse 10 but the wicked shall act wickedly now what's the difference between wise people and wicked people well let's say this we all have this in common we're born wicked each one of us so it's not anything intrinsic in us and it's not anything that you get from your parents the only thing you get from your parents is just a generation of wickedness Thank you, Mom and Dad. It's been great knowing you. And so, you know, that's, that's just the way it works. So, it's not that there's some good people and some bad people, and you happen to be in the good crowd because you're here at church today. It doesn't work that way. As a matter of fact, a lot of wicked people come to church. So, it, it, it's not that. It's, well, I'm a member of the Lions Club. What does God expect of me? It's not about do-goodism. I mean, as a Christian, we, we do have a mandate that as we live in this world, we are to be doing good, right? That's what Christians should do. But there are a lot of non-Christians that outgood me. They just do more good than I do. They just do. I, I don't know. I'm just, I can't keep up with them. And so, I mean, there are a lot of people just pick up a lot more plastic bottles in the park than I do. I just pick mine up if I drop it. I mean, this is what I do. But, you know, there's just a lot of that. A lot of people doing good stuff out there. and It's really great. But, but the problem is, before God, they're wicked, What's the difference here? The difference is those who have come to Jesus as Lord and Savior. What makes us white, it says, purified, white, and refined? And we don't mean white by ethnicity. We mean white rather than red. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Right? So what causes us or you... To be different from what causes you to be looked at as someone who has made, has purified yourselves and made yourself white and refined. How do you do that? By trying harder. By reading your Bible more. Well, you should read your Bible more. Might help you. I mean, by praying more. By doing what is no. We're clothed with righteousness that is not ours. You see, when I. Uh, And I go to the men's shop to get one of these fancy suits, you know. Uh, It's hanging over the rack over there. It's not mine. It doesn't fit me. But when the tailor gets hold of it and fits it to me, and when the price is paid for the purchase, the suit is now mine. With Christ, the purchase has been made. And the robe fits perfectly for those who are in Christ Jesus. Clothed with his his righteousness rather than our own. That's what Christianity is about. It's about getting righteousness from somewhere else, not from ourselves. Every other religion in the world is, how do I make myself righteous? And as Christians, we know that the answer to that is it comes from outside of us. We call it something like alien righteousness, but you know that's kind of weird now because I think kids uh, immediately jumped like Star Trek or Star Wars or something. You know, so it's not that. It means it's from outside of us; it's foreign to us. Those are the ones who are wise. What's the beginning of wisdom? Fear God. That the wicked shall continue to be wicked; those whose hearts are not touched by the gospel what is the difference here why why is it that some people their hearts are touched by the gospel and for other people it's not true oh now we're in a conundrum because see if you think that it's just a matter of convincing then you have to tell yourself that since you've trusted in christ that your heart's not as bad as those wicked people who won't trust christ oh my doesn't that make us better than the sinner's See, that's the whole problem with the whole Arminian debate. With all of that kind of human free willism that goes on with that. At some point, if we're going to be honest, if, if that's the way it is, and that everybody's just kind of on neutral ground, and some believe in Jesus and some people don't, if that's where we're going, then we have to come to the conclusion that some of us just don't have as wicked of a heart as other people. And that would be why I believe, because I'm not as bad as you. Wow. Doesn't that put humanity on the pedestal all of a sudden? That's just not the way it is. We have learned from the book of Ephesians and other places in the Bible that as God has chosen, so anyone that believes in Jesus and is washed white, it's all to the praise of his glory. It's a mystery. We don't know why and how he does these things. But He has done it. So if you are in Christ, I just want to let you know this. It's not by works of righteousness that you have done. But it's according to His mercy that He saved you in particular. You. You did not come into the kingdom by accident. You came into the kingdom by election. That's how you got in. If you bristle at that, do you know what the problem is? You still are wrapped up in yourself. No, I want a choice. I want to choose. Choose then. Choose. Go ahead and choose. Without the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, everyone who ever been born would be one of the wicked and we would all be damned to hell. Every one of us. Because there's none righteous. No, not one. We've all gone astray. We've all run from God. Sometimes we present humanity as if we're just these poor little sheep that are trying to find their way home. No, we're not. We're a bunch of billy goats trying to find our way to the garbage dump. I I don't know what's wrong with people. So the wicked are going to turn to the Antichrist. And see, we know these things in our mind. Listen, some of you here, if, if all of these events begin to take place today, right now today, you, you would know these things in your mind, but you would still turn to the Antichrist. You still would. How, how can I say that? Because you won't turn to Christ now. What are you going to do when there's economic pressure? What are you going to do when your job's on the line if you don't turn to, turn to the Antichrist? What are you going to do if your buying power is taken away if you don't turn to the Antichrist? What are you going to do if health coverage is taken away if you don't turn to the Antichrist? What are you going to do if the COVID vaccine is denied you if you don't turn to the Antichrist? What are you going to do? You know what you'll do. Well, let's wind it down here. So, at the beginning... Of this book of Daniel. Here's what we find out Jesus Christ is king. Do you know what we find out at the end of this book? Jesus Christ is king. In those days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. The stone. Not formed by human hands, shall crush all the kingdoms of this world. And then will come true what the scripture has said. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our Lord and of our Christ, and he shall reign forever. That's the message of the book of Daniel. For us, practically speaking, we don't understand it all. You say, Pastor, this stuff, it just, I I don't understand. One of my favorite seminary grads said to me, Dad, I just wish they would take the book of Revelation out of the Bible because the rest of it I can kind of get. I'm like, yeah, don't we all feel that way? This is a matter of, of, of humility. Where we, like Daniel, have to say, I don't understand it all. But I know all that is needed. Thirdly, from the book of Daniel, we can be assured of the resurrection of the dead god is going to rescue you but it may be through resurrection it probably is not going to happen to you that you'll see you'll be alive and see the rapture right behold i tell you a mystery we shall not all sleep we shall all be changed the moment of twinkling of eye at the last trump the trumpet shall sound the dead in christ shall rise first then we who are alive and remain shall meet them in the clouds and so shall we ever be with the Lord you probably are not going to be in group 2 you're probably going to be in group 1 the headstone people probably but I can't say that certainly can I but we can be assured of the resurrection no matter what God will save us our bodies through the resurrection some of you are young and spry And you just really don't have this yearning for the resurrection. Well, the closer you get to the barn, the more you want it. But for me, my prayer for every person in here is just simply this. That you shall shine like the brightness of the sky above and like the stars forever and ever and ever. Let's pray to the Lord for a moment, will you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful, Lord, that you have shown us in your word the truth about the end of the epic of this world, but also about the beginning of no end everlasting life we praise you father that you have not left us without any hint or any insight but help us lord also to be humble enough to recognize this fact we don't need to know all the details because we know the one who has all the details in his hands father i do pray for those today that if all of these things went down this moment That they would be in the second resurrection, the resurrection of the wicked to judgment. Oh God, help them to see. If they play this out that far, there is no turning back at that point. And hell is nothing but having all the desires that you can think of and never having one of them fulfilled. A desire for companionship, but being utterly alone. A desire for light but being in utter darkness. A desire for absence of pain, but being in nothing but torment and pain. A desire for grace, but no grace to be found. A desire for mercy, but no mercy to be found. Forever and ever and ever and ever. Lord, the cost is too great. I pray that you would work in those hearts, draw them to yourself, that they may come to Christ and be saved. Lord, I pray for your dear people as well. Lord, as we go through this life, there are things that happen, happen in our world even, and it's confusing and sometimes frightening and scary to us. But remind us, Lord, once again, that you are the God who is in control of all things. And there's nothing that takes place outside of that which contributes contributes to the purpose of your will. You have decreed it and it will be so. So help us, oh God, to rest in that. We may not be able to make sense of all things. Even things that are just personal in our own lives, not happening to others, but in our own life. We can't make sense of it. But Lord, we know that you have got these things as well. Now, Father, I pray that you would work in hearts and lives this morning. Help us respond to your word according to your desire and your plan. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand together? if you've. Never